0: The following audio is from Grace Fellowship of Westerville. More information about the church is available at www.gracefcwesterville.org. Well, if you have your Bibles and you'll turn with me to Joshua chapter 22, and we're getting to a point in Joshua now that uh, it's kind of a sad point because if you recall earlier in our study, the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh had requested land that their land be east of the Jordan. And they were granted that, however, there was one condition. They were asked to stay and help the other ten tribes clear the land of enemy and get everything secured before they went to their land. And they did that. And now we're at the point of the story where the fighting is over, uh, the land has been cleared, and now they're going to head back to their land. And picking up in Joshua 22, and if you're visiting with us and you don't have a Bible, feel free to use the one in the pew in front of you. And if you don't have one, take it as our gift to you uh, from this our church to yours, trusting it will help you on your journey. But Joshua chapter 22, beginning in verse 1. At that time, Joshua summoned the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh and said to them, You have kept all that Moses the servant of the Lord commanded you and have obeyed my voice in all that I have commanded you. You have not forsaken your brothers these many days down to this day, but have been careful to keep the charge of the Lord your God. And now the Lord your God has given rest to your brothers, as he promised them. Therefore, turn and go to your tents in the land where your possession lies, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you on the other side of the Jordan. Only be very careful to observe the commandments and the law that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you. To love the Lord your God and to walk in all His ways and to keep His commandments and to cling to them, to Him and to serve Him with all your hearts and with all your soul. So we've come to this new place now, where it's time for them to leave. And the chapter contains very important uh, instructions to the people. Uh, The last several chapters in, in Joshua's charge to his leaders to the nation as a whole. And then the sermon to the people of Israel as a whole in chapter 24. But I want us to look, first of all, at the difficulty of peace. The difficulty of peace. The theme of each of the last chapters of the Joshua is the need to acknowledge and serve God in peace as well as in war. And the setting, of course, is this time of transition when the instructions have been given them as they depart now and go in peace to be mindful of God, to be very careful about the Lord. They have been faithful throughout this whole battle. Oh, There were some lapses when Achan stole the booty that he shouldn't have and it brought problems to Israel. And then when Joshua didn't discuss things with the Lord before Ai and was embarrassed and they lost that battle. And then later, without going to God, they were deceived by the Gideonites. But for the most part... They had kept all the laws and the commands of God during this seven-year campaign. But what about peace? It has been said, said that nations often lose in peace what they have gained in war. Nations often lose in peace what they have gained in war. You see, war, conflict, trials... They all keep us seeking God for deliverance. They remind us of how difficult it is to live on our own. The problem is that in the absence of trials, we relax. We begin to enjoy the peace. And if we're not careful, we start to fall away from the Lord. Would Israel abandon its high level of spiritual commitment and integrity and gradually fall into disobedience and paganism? Or would the people remain faithful to God? Those were the questions that remained to be asked. But when Joshua spoke to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, who were about to return to their homes on the eastern side of the Jordan, he stressed three things to them. Their past obedience and commandments and faithfulness to Moses and the Lord. They were not to forget that. The faithfulness of God giving them the land that had been promised and then their obligation to continue to follow God completely. He amplifies this in chapter 22, verse 5, when it says, Only be very careful to observe the commandments and the law that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, to love the Lord your God and to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments and to cling to him and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. The idea of clinging to him literally means to hang on for dear life. You see, God knows how easy it is for us to go astray. And the commandment he's giving them is now that you go away in peace, don't stop clinging to God. It's not difficult to see that this is precisely what you and I are to do in our time today. The last phrase from Joshua that I read there is drawn from Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 5. And Jesus echoed those words in Matthew 22 verse 37 when he said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. You see, don't give any area open to sin. Don't let any area of your life fall prey to sin. That's why he talks about your heart your soul, your mind, all of it needs to be committed to the Lord. Fulfilling that commandment means walking in God's ways, holding fast to Him and serving Him with all your heart, as Joshua explained. So we come now to this difficult parting, this difficult time. And if you can just use your imagination here for a few moments. These people had fought shoulder to shoulder, for seven years and then beyond in cleaning, clearing the land. Side by side, they had gone to battle, and now they're getting ready to part. You know, it's well chronicled that uh, many soldiers after battles will have uh, reunions each year and just come together with their comrades in arms and reminisce and see how they are because there is such a bond when you've risked your life side by side to someone else. There is such a strong bond, and these people are now parting. And so as they're getting ready to part each other, I can imagine them walking through each other, and here's a brother that saved one in the midst of a battle, and he's realizing what he'd done for him, and here's another one, shoulder to shoulder, had stormed the walls of Hebron. There is such a deep bond with these people. It's a very difficult parting. They love each other. They're family. They're Israelites, and it's time to move on. And as the last, at last the parting takes place, the two and a half tribes move on into their land. Now in a period of time, however, word came of an alarming development. The eastern tribes were building an altar. Joshua chapter 22 verse 10 says, And when they came to, uh, when they came to the region of the Jordan that is in the land of Canaan, The people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh built there an altar by the Jordan, an altar of imposing size. You see, the problem here is that any altar outside of the main one in Shiloh by the temple literally meant a break of worship with the true God. It meant apostasy. And so the text says in verse 11 and 12, and the people of Israel heard it, And behold, the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh have built an altar to, uh, to the frontier of the land of Canaan in the region about the Jordan on the side that belongs to the people of Israel. When the people of Israel heard of it, the whole assembly of the people of Israel gathered at Shiloh to make war against them. Now think about that. This is their comrade-in-arms. These are the people they had just parted with in a very difficult way. They loved each other. But they've heard they're building an altar, and they're ready to go fight them. That seems very harsh. I mean, think of it. They, they had just spent these times parting. These men were not warmongers. On the contrary, they were tired of fighting. They've been fighting for seven plus years. The last thing they want to do is go fight again. What is going on here? When the Western tribes prepared to go to war against these tribes, why could they do this? How could they possibly do that? And there's only one reason. They loved the honor of God so much, they were willing to do anything to keep his holy name. Now, that is commitment. That is commitment in a very strong way. Think about that. They loved God. They were so devoted to God that they refused to let anything get in the way, even the loved ones. Now, that's, that's a strong concept. We could learn a valuable lesson from what we've seen here. The holiness of God who exists, demands that there be no compromise in the area of truth. Now, I'm sure there there were tears. I'm sure it was heart-wrenching. But they refused to let anything get in the way to their devotions. And churches today could learn a major lesson from this whole concept. Unfortunately, there are, there is a concept today where we try to make the Bible relevant to culture. I don't read that in the Bible. On the contrary, cultural is to be made relevant to the Bible. The Bible is to dictate where we're to be and how we're to live. Now, now let me take you to the New Testament. I want to take you to the New Testament because it's very important that we understand this this morning. Because as we're looking at Joshua and we're looking at the tribes way back then and how clearly devoted they were to following God, You need to understand something this morning. That truth is just as real today. Just as real today as it was in their time. And if you recall, and I want you to turn to Luke chapter 14. Jesus is at the height of his ministry. He's doing miracles, okay, we have a few miracles recorded in our Bible. If you remember in our study of the book of John in the last chapter, it said if all the miracles he did were recorded, there wouldn't be enough books in the world to write them down. So what we understand is probably every day of his life, Jesus was healing. He was giving sight to the blind, and he was a sideshow. I mean, he was literally a circus, And massive crowds followed him for the entertainment. And it sounds like a lot of Christianity today, unfortunately. But Jesus stopped in the midst of all this. And I want you to follow what he says, beginning in verse 25. Now great crowds accompanied him. And he turned and he said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife, and children, and brothers, and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. This is Jesus, the God of love. Hate? I mean, this is the Jesus who told children to honor their parents. This is the Jesus who used in in a parable talking about if a son comes to a father... And he asked for a fish, will he give him a a scorpion or will he give him a stone? No. The father will meet the needs of his son. And he said, in the same way, your heavenly father will meet your needs. What's he talking about hating your loved ones? You see, the reality of what the Greek is saying here is not to dislike your loved ones. He's simply saying, let nothing get between your devotion to God. Not even your family. He is to be at the center of everything you do, how you live, and how you're devoted. Now, look how it continues here. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Back in those times, they would understand what he was talking about because when a a prisoner was sentenced to death by crucifixion, he had to carry the cross member of his own cross from the jail to the crucifixion site, much like Jesus had to do. And what he is saying is, people, there is a cost to being a Christian. You want to follow me? There are burdens to bear. You want to walk with me? There is a hard, difficult life that that takes place. You need to count the cost. He continues on. He says in verse 28, For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. You know, when you realize what he's talking about here, imagine starting to build a house and putting the foundation up and putting a flooring on and then not being able to do any more. It's pretty senseless, isn't it? And how about the people who come to church and claim to be Christians and walk out and nothing ever changes? That's what he's talking about here. There is a high cost for following God. And then he goes on and he says, Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not... While the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. Here's the reality, folks. Jesus is coming again. He's coming again for his own, and no one else will stand before him. We need to count the cost. Are we willing to make peace with God on his terms? Are we willing to put him before Anything in our lives. Yes, even those things are the dearest to us. Our careers, our jobs, everything for the excellency of Jesus Christ. And then verse 35 says, So therefore, any one of you who does not resound all that he has cannot be my disciple. In a nutshell, If you're not ready to commit, don't commit. Now, those are tough words. This is one of the reasons why I don't always give an invitation at the end of a service. Because sometimes in in emotion, people come and they think they've found something, but nothing really changes. Spurgeon, who's known as the Prince of Preachers, you know what his invitation consisted of? If God has worked in your heart, I'll be in my office at 9 o'clock tomorrow. Come see me. He didn't want any emotion to get in the way. You have to calculate the cost. It's not something entered into lightly. You need to understand what following Christ is all about. Is it worth selling out to him completely and spending eternity with him or having what I want now and blowing it? This was the problem with the rich young ruler when he came to Jesus. What must I do? And Jesus said, sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and come follow me. He couldn't do it. He walked away. And my greatest fear is that the church is full of people who haven't walked out of the building but in their hearts have not committed to Christ. There is a cost to be paid. And you see, this is what we're seeing now in these group of Israelites They have paid the cost. They have physically paid the cost. They fought for seven years and more. And they're not about to let their own brothers get in the way of glorifying God. So with the whole situation perfectly laid out, we see holiness demonstrated. They did not march on the eastern tribes immediately. Before they marched, uh, they dispatched a delegation to go to them to find out if what they were seeing was true and if there could be anything done about it. This was demonstrated, a demonstration in love and concern. And there's a couple of very key things here that they did that are so critical for us today, especially as a church. Number one, the delegation described their concerns. Today, we are often so reluctant to hurt people. We don't confront anybody because we're afraid they might go away. You know, oftentimes churches get big. They can't afford to lose anybody because they've got a big budget to fill. They didn't worry about anything. They wanted them to know exactly what was going on. And the delegation was comprised of 10 men, one leader from each of the 10 tribes, All under the oversight of Phinehas, the son of Eleazar the priest. These went to the two and a half tribes. And here's what they said, beginning of verse 16. Thus says the whole congregation of the Lord. What is this breach of faith that you have committed against the God of Israel and turning away this day from following the Lord by building yourselves an altar this day in rebellion against the Lord? Have we not had enough of the sin of Peor from which even yet we have not cleansed ourselves and for which there came a plague upon the congregation of the Lord? Uh, The the sin of Peor was uh, taken from Romans chapter 25, or excuse me, uh, Numbers chapter 25, when the people began to mingle uh, with the daughters of Moab and began to worship their gods. And God came down on them. And these people are saying, look, we don't want to go through this again. Okay, verse 18, that you too must turn away this day from following the Lord. And if you too rebel against the Lord today, then tomorrow he will be angry with the whole congregation of Israel. Look, guys, you're not only bringing down punishment on yourselves, but on all of us. Because we're all the same people. And so they have come and clearly laid out. The key here is the clearness of their words. They called apostasy apostasy. They didn't mince words. And if those who claim to be God's people do not live for him faithfully and obediently, others who are trying to follow the Lord will suffer. And that's really what they're saying here. There must be clear teaching. The word of God must be given out clearly and completely and adhered to to the nth degree. But here's the really cool part. And here's a part that's really left out in a lot of cases. And and this just really spoke to my heart this week. Number two, the Western tribes were willing to pay any price to reclaim their lost brothers. This is amazing. Because the Western tribes did not merely demonstrate their love for those that they, they, they were concerned with and laying out the clear facts of how they had violated it. But they did something even greater. They offered their own lands, if that could be the means of bringing them back to God. Verse 19, But now, if the land of your possession is unclean, pass over unto the the Lord's, Land where the Lord's tabernacle stands, and take for yourselves a possession among us. Only do not rebel against the Lord or make us the rebels by building for yourselves an altar other than the altar of the Lord our God. What they said was, Look, if it's too hard to live for God over here, if there are too many temptations over here, come on back over to us. We'll give you some of our land. We'll give you some of our land. Just come on over so we can be healed and hold and following God. They were not simply scolding and threatening. They offered sacrificial help. They said, look, whatever it takes, however we can help you to make you right with God, come. Even if it means us giving you some of our land. Can you imagine the power of the church today? If God's people lived sacrificially. If we were willing to give of ourselves to rescue a brother or sister. If we were willing to walk so closely to the Lord that if he said, here's how you rescue that person, I'm all in God, take whatever you need. This was the beauty of the church in Acts chapter 2. When people sold land to give it to everybody so all would have and not go in need. Imagine the powerful impact a church would have if God's people lived sacrificially and so they didn't just come lay the law down on these people they came with a solution and we will be the solution whatever it takes brothers sisters we want you back right with God number three the two and a half eastern tribes agreed with the charges wow this is important because it shows that these were real believers and not imposters. Not a word of their reply indicates that the people of the East thought lightly of erecting false altars. They didn't say, as many do today, well, that's just your opinion. Opinion is something we use as a shield. No, they, they came straight out. If there is doubt at this point, believers may stop and work through it together to see what God needs to do. And that's what they did. Now notice, too, that the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh did not only agree with the nature of the charges, but also agreed with the righteousness of the judgment, if the charges were true. Notice what they said, beginning of Verse 22. The Mighty One, God the Lord. The Mighty One, God the Lord. He knows and let Israel itself know. If it was in rebellion or in breach of faith against the Lord, do not spare us today for building an altar to turn away from following the Lord. Or if we did so to offer burnt offerings or grain offerings or peace offerings on it, may the Lord himself take vengeance. So what they did was they admitted that, hey, if the facts are true, have at it. Do what you need to do. They upholded the standard their Eastern brothers were upholding to them because of the way they came to them in laying out the truth and laying it out with compassion and love and with a solution. They melted the hearts of these people. Now, with the situation handled properly, we have a happy ending. The tribes who were crossing the Jordan explained that they had not built an altar to establish worship. That wasn't their intent. And so they explained to this delegation, beginning in verse 24, they said, No, but we did it from, from fear that in time to come, your children might say to our children, What have you to do with the Lord, the God of Israel? For the Lord has made the Jordan a boundary between us and you, your people of Reuben and people of Gad. You have no portion in the Lord, so your children might make our children cease to worship the Lord. Therefore, we said, let us now build an altar, not for burnt offerings or for sacrifice, But to be a witness between us and you and between our generation after us. That we do perform the service of the Lord in his presence with our burnt offerings and sacrifices and peace offerings. So your children will not say to our children in time to come, you have no portion in the Lord. And we thought... If this, if this should be said to us or to our descendants in time to come, we should say, Behold, the copy of the altar of the Lord, which our fathers made, not for burnt offerings nor for sacrifice, but to be a witness between us and you. Far be it from us that we should rebel against the Lord and turn away this day, day from following the Lord by building an altar for burnt offerings, grain offerings, or sacrifice other than the altar of the Lord God that stands before us, his tabernacle. In other words, the altar by the Jordan was not to be a functional altar, but a memorial, a reminder of the true altar in Shiloh. And it was to to mark this true peace and unity between the peoples. So they were setting up, something to remind the generations to come of who, where their true allegiance was. Why did this story have a happy ending when there was so much room for disagreement and misunderstanding? Because you see, oftentimes, misunderstanding and confusion starts when the parties don't handle it properly. And misunderstanding takes off. These people went with clear deep solid rooted God biblical truth but they did it with love and compassion and offering a solution and it was easy for these people to just explain the truth but it's because of the two steps that we're taking and these are steps that we as a church need to be mindful of today number one There was a clear agreement in the importance of doctrine and truth. A clear understanding that the holiness of God demands bowing before him and obeying his commands. Remember Joshua's words as he first sent the people out to cross the Jordan. He said, take diligent heed to love the Lord your God and to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments. And this is what they did. And it's the same words he tells you and I today, to take heed, to follow all of God's commandments, even at the expense of your own desires and wills. Have you counted the cost? Do you understand what it means to be a Christian? And then number two, those who were courageous in standing for truth were also courageous In acting in love. let say that again. Those who were courageous in standing for truth. Were also courageous in acting in love. If there had only been a stand for truth. There would never have been a happy ending. There would have been sadness in the midst of misunderstanding. But because of the love of God. The tribes talked to each other openly. And shared their love. And it reminds me so much of that verse in Psalm 85, verse 10. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Isn't that a beautiful verse? Righteousness and peace are opposite sides of the same coin. Without love, you're simply legalistic. You're just noise, literally. Literally. The New Testament says, or the Bible says, you're like a tinkling cymbal and gonging brass. All you do is make noise. Because the love of God coming through a child of God is so much louder than what you say. And this is literally what happened here. This is not always easy, not even amongst Christians. Does your life show the Word of God and His character? That's really what Christians are called to do, to show the character of God. But is God's will and his blessing on all of us who follow him? As Christians and as a church, you and I have a chance to make a significant difference in our world this year. First, by you renewing your commitment to God. That you understand so clearly that there will be nothing between you and God. Nothing between your devotion and walk with him. And that secondly, you will show the character of God by your love and compassion and understanding. These are the keys that will allow this church to make a major impact in 2016. It starts first with each one of us individually and then collectively as a church as we live to glorify Jesus Christ. These folks handled a very difficult situation very classy. We have the same opportunity, and I might say the same command of God to do that today. Are you willing to pay the cost? Father, we thank you this morning for your mercy and grace. Lord, we... I admit that all of us, myself included, often forget what it takes to be committed to you. We don't want to be large crowds enjoying entertainment and words that tickle our ears. We need to know the hard facts of what it means to be a Christian. And I know there have been people I've talked to about coming to Christ who said they're just not sure, they're just not sure, they're praying about it. And I have so much respect for those people because I know they're counting the cost. And that's exactly what you told us to do. But for those of us who have come to you, who know you as our Savior, may we walk with you. May we take up our cross and follow you. May we put you before anything else in this world that your spirit might have full sway in us to lead us and guide us with nothing in the way to him. You're a merciful God because you gave us these words to instruct us and to guide us. And now I pray your spirit would take these words into the heart of every person here and do the work you desire to do give you the praise in Christ's name amen